All right, my name's Jeremy. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier. I'm the pastor here. I have the privilege of being able to, um, to walk alongside you in this life of faith that God has called us to. And, uh, and we have an opportunity to now come to the scripture together today to learn uh, and to be invested in by the Lord Jesus in uh, wherever you may be coming in from, whatever you may bringing in, be bringing in this morning. Uh, he's here to meet you this morning. So <clears throat> I've only been here for just about a little over a year. My family and I moved last February and took this role. And as we were doing our interview weekend process, uh, we got to sit in Mitch, who's one of our elders. Uh, Mitch, he has this really cool Jeep. And we were riding. It was a beautiful day. There's, you know, we're traveling the rolling hills of Trousdale. And it's sunny, everyone's grass is mowed, everyone's waving, and they're so friendly. And in that moment, he introduced to me the loving nickname of this beloved Creve Hall community, the Shire. Are you familiar with this nickname? The Creve Hall community is lovingly known as the Shire. The Shire is this peaceful and beautiful land where the hobbits of Lord of the Rings lived and farmed and celebrated and loved. But for certain hobbits like Frodo Baggins, the Shire wasn't enough. He wanted adventure, and adventure was out there. Frodo says, I should like to leave the Shire if I could. I feel that as long as the Shire lies behind, safe and comfortable, I shall find wandering more bearable. I shall know that somewhere there is a firm foothold, even if my feet cannot stand there again. There's an echo of the Christian life in what I just read. Because the Christian life is one of leaving the familiar and following Jesus into the unknown places where he may call you and living in that adventure story. All the while, knowing that there is a land, that there is a people, that there is a home at that journey's end where we are headed. And that picture of the Christian life did not originate with J.R.R. Tolkien. That picture of the Christian life as a wandering life, as a journeying life, is one that really goes all the way back to the first pages of Scripture. And as we close up this Genesis series that we're, we've been in since February, today we're ending it in Genesis 12. Genesis keeps going, by the way, for, like, I'm not good at math, but until chapter 50, so way far away, uh, that's why I'm a preacher and not a math teacher. Uh, but the story that is set here continues to follow that pattern and follow that rhythm for the remainder of the story. And it really encapsulates what the first 11 chapters have been teaching us. It encapsulates that our first parents, drawing this contrast between a wandering life following our own desires, and a journeying, adventurous life following God who calls us out of darkness and into light. Because our first parents wandered. They wandered away from God and his grace. They, Cain then wandered away from his family, separating himself from the blessing of his family. Those last week, as Jonathan Nash preached, the Tower of Babel, those who were building this amazing tower were then scattered to wander the face of the earth everywhere. But God never wandered. 
what the first 12 chapters of Genesis teach and what is the consistent refrain for the remainder of its pages is that God does not give up on his people. He is a faithful God. He does not wander even though his children do. In fact, he actually goes after those who are wandering away. That's the picture of the God in Genesis 1 through 12 and the picture of the God in the remaining chapters. And so where we find ourselves in Genesis 12 is like a hinge point from the history of the whole world to now a history and a storytelling of what is the origin of the people of God? What is the origin of us today who call Jesus Lord? What is the origin ultimately of all human history and where is it headed? And where it is headed is a recreation. In the beauty of the original creation, as good as that was, we're headed for something better by faith. And that promise now begins to come to fruition today through one guy named Abram. And so to read that story, uh, we've got Kat Scheibe. She's going to come up. Read Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Good morning. Okay, this is Genesis 12, 1 through 9. <clears throat> now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kat. So Abraham's journey then that we just read is a pattern for the Christian life. It's a call to leave your comfort and to follow God by his grace. Because two things are true of God's people according to this passage. One, that we are a blessed people. And two, that that blessing is meant to go into us so that it will go through us. So we're blessed to bless. And those are going to be our two points uh, quickly this morning. So first, what kind of blessing is being described here? Especially in verses 1 through 3 is the description of this blessing. But first, we need to know a little bit more of a backstory and a context to what is happening here with this guy Abram who just is like two verses before, shows up for the first time. Where did this guy come from? What's his story? 
he is a product and his family is ultimately a product of Babel, of what happened last week where God scatters people across the earth. He's one of Noah's son's lineage. So Shem, one of those three original sons of Noah, he is in the line of Shem. And Abraham's fa- I'm sorry, Abram's family lives in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is somewhere in southern Iraq, they believe today. There's, in that time, there was no identification that they knew anything about this God, Yahweh. That they knew anything about the promises of the rainbow and of the snake crusher from Genesis 3. They knew nothing about nothing about this God. And in that moment, to one who is a pagan, living in a pagan land, who was worshiping most likely the God of the moon, God intersects this man's story and intersects this family's story. And it's one that even though there is a lineage of God's faithfulness, he was not aware of it. That may be true for many of us. There may be a lineage of God's faithfulness in our families, but it is so easy to miss. Abram is as far from God as can be, and yet God still chooses to move towards him. This, just as a little aside, this is still how God works. This is still the kind of God that he is, intersecting people who do not want him. That's what this picture of infant baptism just uh, described, that there is a God who goes towards his people as they are running away from him. That's the God who we find here. And he asks his people to leave three things. He asks Abram and his family to leave three things. He says, I want you to leave your land. I want you to leave your family. And I want you to leave your inheritance. So look back at verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, so the place where he is familiar, and your kindred, that is, leave your family, and your father's house, that is all the security, all the comfort that is coming to you by being in this community that is caring for you, I want you to leave all of it. Especially in that time, these were the things that made a person who they were. These are the things that made a, the meaning and the purpose, what, who your father was and who his father was and who his father was and what was passed down was passed down generation to generation. That's where wealth came from. That's where security came from. That's where purpose and meaning came from. And God says, leave it. So it would be the same thing for many of us. If we were asked by God to leave your job, and leave your city, and leave your network, and leave your family, leave it behind. I'm taking you somewhere new. How might that strike you? What might, yeah, what might that experience be like? To leave everything and string yourself out there, and to not really be told where you're going. This is what he gets told. He says, this is the end of verse 1 going into verse 2. He says, I want you to go to You're leaving a land. I'm going to give you a land that I will show you. He doesn't say where. He just says, I'm going to show you. Then he goes on to say, and I will make of you a great nation. You're leaving a family. I will make of you a family. And finally, I will bless you and make your name great. The very thing that those in the Tower of Babel wanted to do to make a great name for themselves, God is saying, 
the whole point of this is I'm supposed to do that for you. And I will give you that. And I will give you the inheritance and the joy and the meaning and the purpose that comes with that inheritance. So Abraham is essentially just living his skin for a minute. He's asked by a deity that he doesn't know to go somewhere he doesn't know to do something he doesn't understand. Does that sound like a great proposition? Does that sound like something you would be very willing to do? This speaks a particular truth about why in the world would Abraham trust this God? But again, this is the beginning of a story that we see repeated time after time after time. Just to take one snippet, there's something unexplainable about God when he calls. Take Jesus. In his first experience with his disciples, he shows up on the bank, Peter and Andrew are fishing, and he says, hey guys, come on and follow me. Leave all that, come follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Number one, what's he even talking about? He, Jesus is speaking in metaphors that I don't know where he's going with that. All I know is my entire livelihood is here in this boat, and I'm about to leave it. Yet they do. There's something compelling and powerful about God when he calls. Move on a little bit further. Jesus goes to James and to John, the brothers, and they also leave their boats, and they leave their dad in the boat. Bye, Dad. We're following this guy. Known him for five seconds. He goes to Matthew, leaves this lucrative tax practice that he had. He was a great CPA. It was like April 16th, so he was raking in the dough. And he leaves it all, leaves stacks of money on the table and walks away. What is that? I wish I had an explanation. I wish I had some sort of way to, to tell you, well, A plus B equals following Jesus, but I don't think that's how the Holy Spirit works. I think more so this is communicating that when God calls, there is something in our hearts that is unlocked. And in his calling, there is this pull towards whatever you say, I'm there. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe for those that would call themselves Christians in this room today, you've experienced that moment where it went from, yeah, 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 maybe I grew up in church, I knew all the stories, I did all the things, I did the VBS, you know, I said yes to Jesus a long time ago, but now I get it. It means something to me. This matters. My whole life is now being reshaped. The Holy Spirit just did something. Or those who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but maybe there's a new refreshment that you experience in a Sunday morning service. Or as you read the Bible one morning, just an ordinary morning, but there's something that the Lord does in that moment to awaken you to himself in a new, fresh way. That is the life of a believer. But it is unpredictable. You can't control the Spirit. You don't know where he's going. You don't know when he's going to help. You don't know when he's going to awaken and enliven you. But that's what he does, and that's the description of what's happening here. Abraham is not looking for this God, and yet all of a sudden, in 
a moment, he's like, yes, I get it, I trust you, and I'm headed your direction. The only thing that can make sense of that is we have a powerful God who works inside of us to enable us and enliven us to do things we otherwise without him would not do. End of that soapbox. So if that's something of the mysterious nature to which Abraham now finds himself, what is he promising? What is God? God doesn't only say, just trust me. He does give him some snippets of an understanding of what's coming. What are those snippets of an understanding? He calls it blessing. He says, I am going to bless you. What does that mean? That seems vague. We use it as a hashtag now. I'm not really sure what that means in our context. What did that mean in theirs? Blessing in this sense would have registered in the reader's ears as something very similar to but contrasted with the curses of Genesis 3. That when Adam and Eve, mankind first walks away and charts their own course away from God to try to make a name for themselves by themselves, there is a curse found in that moment. And God says, this world is going to be a lot harder for you now. Because you've walked away, you've walked away from thriving, you've walked away from life itself, there's going to be death in this world, there's going to be sin in this world, there's going to be brokenness in this world, you're going to experience it, the land is going to experience it, the world is going to experience it, that's what's going to happen. And so the word, for, the word blessing is a direct contrast flying in the face of Genesis 3, saying that everything that has happened because of the curse of sin on this world is now starting to be reversed. The curse is being reversed before angels in the outfield. That was a really old reference. I'm sorry if you didn't get it. But there is a reversal of all things sad and all things mournful, and all loss, and all brokenness, and everything in here that you wish you could rip out of yourself and you just can't, there is a reversal coming, and that is what is being told to Abraham and to us today. A picture of the reversal of that curse. And this is reflected, and I think we can corroborate that this is the type of blessing that's being talked about here in Abram's life. Because if you just read, like read chapter 12 of Genesis, read 13, read 14, and just watch some of the things that Abraham does. Watch some of the ways that he behaves. And is this a story where we just go, oh, yes, I see, I should be like Abraham. He's this great moral hero, and everyone should just be like Abraham. Well, how about this? A few chapters later, Abram will lie about his wife being his wife, instead calling her his sister so that he can escape two different rulers that he, think are, he thinks are going to kill him. He then gets another woman pregnant because he, in a moment of weakness, decides that he doesn't trust God to give him this nation, this land, this offspring that he had promised. He's a mess. Anybody else in here a mess? Anybody, anybody else in here believe that because you're a mess, you won't get the promises of God delivered to you by his grace? Untrue. The story of Abraham is a stumbling 
story by faith. That's the pattern here. It is one that stumbles in the direction that God is calling him, but it is a stumbling one at that. And it is one that begins with this mustard seed of faith that is worked in him by the Holy Spirit's power there in Genesis 12 and continues to grow. But as he stumbles along the way. And this same grace that in this very seed form is talked about in Genesis 12 explodes on the page in the person and the work of Jesus. Look at verse 7. The offspring that would bless the nations. The offspring, singular, that is being talked about here, who the land, the promised land would be given to, is none other than Jesus Christ, being talked about way back here in Genesis 12. The one who would ultimately leave his country, leave his kindred, leave his father's house in heaven and come to earth to die for those who were not looking for him. That's our God. That's who he is. That's how he works. That's what he does. So that we could be let into his blessing. We could be let into his house, let into his country, let into his kindred and his family and his father. That's what we experience now as the church. And that's what we will ultimately experience in the new creation. That's the land to which we are going. That's the end of this promised adventure. The end of this journey is there. And because that's true, that is our blessing that we now have in our hands. His grace and his sovereign love over us as we stumble to follow him through this life. How does that then inform how we should live? Because that's the blessing, but that blessing does not stay on us and us alone, but that is meant to flow through us to be a blessing to the nations. Because there is this temptation to just stay in the Shire. Like the Shire's comfy. Everything's kind of going okay. We've, we've got our money. We've got our 2.5 kids. We've got our house. Everything is kind of going okay. But the Lord of the Rings also captures this kind of mindset as well. If, uh, if you've seen The Two Towers, you remember uh, King Denethor? King Denethor of Gondor. Gandalf and Pippin go to seek his help. Uh, this is as Sauron's army is growing. Sauron's the bad guy. Big army of orcs are swelling. And there's this, this feeling of the end is near. There's about to be this takeover. And they go and try to enlist the help of this kingdom of strong men to help. And there he sits alone in this cavernous castle with this sunken face and this sullen appearance, all the color gone out of his face, despairing because he believes there's no hope. And he's frozen and he's unwilling to help. And what does he do in that moment? The scene cuts and one of the next scenes is a picture of him at this giant banquet table with all of this food covering it, this glorious plethora and bounty, and there he sits alone, grotesquely eating with his hands. <laughs> it's this picture of this like ravenous animal who's totally turned in on himself. That is a picture of the warning of this passage as well. 
because all of the grace that we have received is meant to flow through and not only to. And ultimately, he goes insane because of this inwardly turned life. And there is a warning in this passage that a thriving life is meant to be lived out there for the sake of another, not turned in in this me and Jesus and then that's all I need kind of life. Because we can get bloated and lazy and fearful of what lies outside those doors and that causes us to shut our windows, to bar the doors and to stay inside. But there is a broken world. There's a broken city. There's a broken neighborhood right outside these doors. There's a broken South Nashville that we love and where we are committed to. And it is in need of the same blessing that you have received by grace. The same beginning of the reversal process of everything sad inside of you. The taste that this community is of that new creation place that is coming and will come. So what keeps Abram going? What is it about this moment for him that though he stumbles, though he fails, he is able to continue to walk by faith? Verses four through nine ultimately are a living into the promise of the end of verse two. All of this blessing, all of this blessing showering on you so that you will be a blessing. Because Abraham's life is this rhythm of his failure and God's provision and his failure and God's provision. But watch, if you were to read the entire story of his life in the next 10 or so chapters, what you would begin to see is that that thing that began back here as this little mustard seed of faith, as he stumbles forward, as God continues to be faithful to him, even as he wanders left and right, there is that little mustard seed of faith begins to grow. And it grows a little more. And then he fails, and then God comes through, and it grows a little more. And that process of the growth of his faith would ultimately bring him to a place that he was even willing to trust the Lord and sacrifice his son, his only son, the son that he loved, and trust that the Lord would take care of the details. So there is a movement. There is a growth happening. And that is also part of our Christian story, that as the grace of God continues to prove to us that we don't have to fear the world out there and that we don't have to fear the world in here. And as God's smile continues to rest over those who have trusted and put their faith in the righteousness of Christ to cover them, then there is a movement inside of us that begins to grow to trust, yes, I can put myself out there and he still cares for me. I can walk forward and try to love somebody and fail and he will continue to be faithful to me and to repair that relationship. I can receive, I can give forgiveness in the same way that I've received it. I can give belonging in the same way that I've received it. I can give helps in the same way that I've received it. I can give love in the same way that I've received it. So two questions as we close this morning. Is there anything that God right now is convicting you of where you are refusing, listen, 
to this first. Is there anywhere that God is convicting you right now where you're refusing to receive the grace of Jesus? Is there a place in your life where you'd rather have that one for yourself? Is there a place in your life where you'd rather just try to do good enough on your own? Is there a place in your life that you're too ashamed of to bring to him? Is there a failure that's too big? Is there a voice in your head that's too loud? How might you offer that up to him today? Secondly, is God currently right now opening any opportunity for you to leave what's familiar and give the blessing of Jesus that you've received? Because I think in my year of being here, what I've experienced from you, from this church community, is one that is so well blessed. In one that is, there is such character in you. There is such competency in you. There is such grace in you and maturity. And the growth of that in us, I just keep being floored by the caliber of people that exist. The temptation, though, will be to continue to enjoy that only for ourselves. Because that is the human heart. And that is the human heart in community, is we want to close that off for ourselves because it's so good. But there's two things that the Lord is calling us to this morning, at least. One is, how are we continuing to drink deeply of his grace together as a community? Because we're only going to be able to give what we've received. How are we helping each other believe that that is the true story, not the narratives in our head? And then secondly, how might God use this congregation to bring the grace of Jesus to those who haven't tasted it yet? How might he even press us past the Creve Hall neighborhood into the further reaches of South Nashville? And so as we head, as we finish this ministry uh, season and head into the summer and look towards another year, I believe this year is one that we can begin to stretch our legs a little bit. We can begin to think a little bit more about who are those outside and how might we leverage everything that is good about this place for the sake of those who need the same grace that we're drinking deeply of. I don't know what that's going to look like. Neither did he. So that's comforting. But we're going to walk that road by faith and trust that his grace will continue to catch us as we stumble. Let's pray. So Father, I pray that you would do the work that we can't do. I pray that you would do the work in our own hearts. <laughs> we can't in our own hearts believe that you're this good. We continue to default that it must be our effort that will make us pleasing to you, and that is so not true. And so we pray that, Holy Spirit, your grace would fall down right now, would fall into the hearts of those in this room, in a new, fresh way that there would be belief, maybe for the first time, in a new, fresh way that there would be renewal. In a new, fresh way, there would be a boldness to admit this really is how bad I am and a boldness to believe and that's really how good Jesus is. And I pray that as we continue to drink deeply of that kind of grace, that you would 
supernaturally provide spaces and places where we live, in our neighborhoods, where we work, in our jobs, uh, where we play, at the rec center, at the Creve Hall baseball field, at the playground, wherever that might be, would you give us opportunity to pour that grace out? Trusting that as we do, you will still be there to fill our hearts. We lift all this up to you and ask for your guidance in our life, collectively as a church and individually as your saints. We pray this in Jesus' name.